Oppression and deliverance is a theme that we see throughout history. There are a lot of people throughout time who have found themselves under a tyrannical hand and they live in despair. And they cry out for deliverance. And this is the situation of the people of Israel in the land of Egypt. Because Pharaoh had reduced Israel to slavery and hard bondage. And God would deliver them from their misery and would ultimately lead them into the wilderness and then to reach the promised land. This is the story we find in the book of Exodus. And it's instructive for us and for many reasons because it describes how Israel will come out of Egypt, the covenant that God made with them. It provides a type of the Christ and instructive for us on many levels. Very much so what Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 12. So we do well to consider what's going on in the book of Exodus. The author of Exodus is most certainly Moses. This is affirmed by Jesus in Mark 12, 26 and Luke 20 and verse 37. And the inspiration of the book is attested by Jesus and the apostles. From the best textual evidence in the Bible, we would say Moses lives around 1450 BC. Those who look at other historical factors may date Moses in the Exodus around 1250 BC. But the events of the narrative are roughly contemporaneous with the writing up to 40 years beforehand, 80 years from the early parts. The audience uh, is Israel after the wilderness, and as Christians, we can learn from the example of Israel. And the purpose is to describe the story of Israel from the birth of Moses to Sinai, to record for later Israelites the history of God's redemption of Israel from Pharaoh with a strong arm and a mighty hand, to preserve the law as given by God to Moses, along with specifications for the tabernacle, its furniture, and the garments of the priests, a demonstration of the physical types of the spirituality in Christ, and how not to act for Christians, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12. The main sections of the story of Israel, the first four chapters are Moses' birth and calling, uh, chapter 5 through 15 is God's deliverance of Israel. That from 15 through 18 is getting Israel to Sinai. From chapter 19 through 23, we have the covenant code and God speaking to Israel. And then from 24 through 40, we have God speaking to Moses with all kinds of other uh, important things going on with the tabernacle and all of the vestments and things going on with the service of God in the tabernacle. So in chapter 1, we learn of Israel's situation. We have Jacob's descendants. There is a, God, a Pharaoh who does not know Joseph, who enslaves Israel. And he ultimately will command the execution of the boys who are born to the Israelites. That's why in chapter 2, we learn that Moses is born. And when he could no longer be hidden, he was put in a basket and uh, set off on the Nile River. And he would be found by Pharaoh's daughter. He would be raised in the house of Pharaoh, but one day he will kill an Egyptian who had been oppressing uh, his people. And then uh, Moses found himself exiled to Midian. He will ultimately marry there and have children. There will be a new king of Egypt that will arise after this, and God will hear Israel's cry. So in chapter 3 and 4, Moses is on Mount Horeb, or Sinai, and he's uh, keeping the sheep of his father-in-law, and he sees a bush that is burning but is not consumed. And there is where God calls Moses. And we will then have a series of uh, protests from Moses and answers from God. Moses will ask, who is God? And God will affirm he is who he is and that he will be with Moses. Um, and that's also Moses' second protest. And this is where God reveals his name, Yahweh, and promises deliverance. 
Uh, Moses' third protest, he will Israel deny what Moses claims. God then gives the sign of Moses' staff turning to a snake and hand turning leprous and then returning to health. Uh, Moses then protests that he cannot speak well. God affirms that he will put words in Moses' mouth. Moses just wants God to send someone else, so God is going to make Aaron the mouthpiece. And gets the Moses gets the impression he doesn't much have choice, somewhat choice, but not really. And so he goes. And Moses heads toward Egypt. His wife Zipporah saves him by circumcising his sons in a very bizarre scene at the end of chapter 4. Moses will meet Aaron, and they will speak to the elders of Israel, who will believe in the message that Moses has. And then we get the disastrous beginning, chapter 5 and 6, that Moses will go before Pharaoh. Pharaoh will dismiss Yahweh and Moses. Uh, Pharaoh will, in fact, increase the burden on Israel in retribution. And Israel will bitterly complain to Moses about this, and he complains to God. God reaffirms his promises to Israel that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and will accomplish what he promised. And then we learn of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel and the descendants of Levi and getting us to understanding who Moses is. And God then tells Moses to speak to Pharaoh. The God is going to demonstrate his power in these plagues before he gives them. And then we have the signs and the plagues before the Egyptians from chapter 7 through 10. Aaron's staff is turned into a snake. The magicians turn their staffs into snakes, but Aaron's snake eats theirs. Aaron and magicians will both turn the Nile to blood. Aaron and the magicians will then bring up plagues of frogs. But when it comes time for the plague of gnats, only Aaron can do that. That is the finger of God, according to the Egyptian magicians. Pharaoh will begin to cave in, but his heart remains hardened at this point. The Egyptian livestock are then killed while Israel's remain. There's then a plague of boils on the Egyptians, a plague of hail on the Egyptians. Uh, Pharaoh wants to compromise, but he fails. His heart is hardened. There's then the plague of locusts and then the plague of darkness. Then in Exodus chapter 11, God tells Moses, who tells Israel, that there will be the final plague, which is the death of the firstborns of Egypt. God then ordains the Passover for Israel. The narrative has been going through the entire Bible at this point, and chapter 12 just comes to a screeching halt. Because God is ordaining the Passover and provides legislation for it. Likewise, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And Moses commands Israel to thus keep the Passover as a perpetual observance and how it will be explained to their children. God will then kill all the firstborn of Egypt. And then Pharaoh commands Israel to go. The Israelites will plunder the Egyptians and will travel from Piramises to Sukkoth and there eat the unleavened bread. Then the whole sojourn is explained, and then commandments about Passover are given again. Chapter 13, we have the explanation of the need for the redemption of the firstborn, and the institution and regulation of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, and how they are to redeem the firstborn. We then learn about how God will deliver Israel at the Red Sea in chapters 13 through 15, that God leads Israel to the uh, Red Sea, um, and they bring Joseph's bones with them. They are at Etham. There's a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in front of them. Israel comes to Pihahiroth, and there God promises deliverance. Pharaoh, meanwhile, has repented of letting Israel go and sends his army to meet Israel, the greatest army at the time in the world. Israel complains to Moses, who they expect death, but Moses promises God's deliverance. A cloud comes up between the army and Israel. Then God parts the Red Sea, and Israel passes through. The Egyptians pursue. Their army is in panic and in chaos. Their wheels are in the mud. 
and the Red Sea returns and drowns them all. Israel recognizes its deliverance, and then we have the Song of Moses recounting the deliverance of Israel at the Red Sea. Then Miriam will also take up that song. Then we begin the time in the wilderness area, the desert wastes of uh, the Sinai Peninsula and perhaps northwestern uh, Saudi Arabia. Israel will travel to Marah. The log, there the water is uh, salty or bitter. A uh, log is put into it, which makes it sweet or potable. Israel then goes to Elim, and then they are the, in the wilderness of Sin. Israel there grumbles about food, and there God provides quail and manna. Manna, the mahna, what is it? It's some kind of uh, foodstuff, some kind of starch, it seems like, uh, that gives Israel sustenance. They're given instruction about it, and there is a part of it kept as a memorial throughout the generations. The wilderness of sin, by the way. Uh, yes, we have the word sin in English. That, that just happens to be a coincidence. That is not uh, at all any kind of association there in the text. They now move on to Rephidim. There's no water there. The Israelites grumble. The rock is struck, and then water comes forth. It's there at Rephidim that the Amalekites will fight Israel. Israel will fight the Amalekites, and all the time when Moses' arms are raised, they will have victory. When his arms fall, Amalek has victory, and that's why Aaron and Hur will eventually hold on to his arms, and therefore there will be victory for Israel. And God then promises to blot out Amalek. Moses' uh, family uh, meets Moses, including Jethro, his father-in-law. Uh, Moses will tell them what's happened, and then uh, Jethro says that Moses should stop doing all the judging and tells him to appoint judges in Israel, and he does that. In chapter 19, Israel has reached Sinai, and God will there intend to make a covenant with them, and Israel agrees to the covenant God is going to make, that God is going to personally speak with Israel, and preparations are made to that end. People are sanctified there, and they come to hear God. And then, from chapters 20 through 23, we have the Ten Commandments and the Covenant Code. From this point, we're going to have very little narrative in the rest of Exodus and Leviticus. Um, the narrative will really only truly start up again in the book of Numbers. We're now going to be treated to a lot of instruction and commandments of laws. So, the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 21 through 17. At that point, Israel demonstrates its fear before God, and they want Moses to go and hear God and be the intermediary between them and God. And so then we get what we often call the Covenant Code, a series of laws that are associated with the establishment of the covenant here. There is legislation against idolatry, uh, about Hebrew slaves, about marrying slaves, uh, about murder, how intentional or otherwise, about dishonoring parents, kidnapping, fights and violence, oxen, theft. Uh, situations about restitution, about fornication, capital punishment for sorcery, bestiality, and idolatry, about showing mercy toward the poor that is possessed in sojourners, to not revile authorities, about offering of the firstborn and the firstfruits, legislating the nature of justice and fairness, um, Sabbath legislation, uh, the day and the year, uh, the need to hear what has been said and to only honor God. Then we have observance of festivals, how there will be an angel going before Israel, and they should do what he says, and that they would dispossess the nations and to remove their idols. God's blessings are listed before uh, Israel, and then there's a warning against idolatry. 
That brings us to the end of chapter 23. In chapters 24 through 31, we have more about Moses before God. In chapter 24, Moses, Aaron, and the elders are now before God, who affirm the law. And now we've got all of these specifications for building that start. Building the altar and pillars, how they will inaugurate the covenant with sacrifices. Moses will be on the mountain for 40 days and nights. There will be contributions made by Israel for the tabernacle and everything involved in it. And then specifications are given for the ark, for the table of the bread of the presence, the lampstand, its utensils, the curtains and its accessories, the covering, coverings, panels, pillars, bars, and bases of the tabernacle, which is again a tent. Uh, how the tent would be constructed and laid out, the altar and its accessories, the court of the tabernacle, uh, all the priestly garments, the ephod, the urim and thummim, breastpiece, and Aaron's son's clothing, the specifications of how Aaron and his son should be ordinate, uh, ordained, uh, the offerings which should be offered on the altar, the incense altar, uh, how they should have a census and a tax uh, throughout the year, Specifications for the bronze laver, the uh, place for cleaning. The ingredients of the anointing oil and how it should be consecrated. The ingredients of that incense and the regulations used for it. And then in chapter 31, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab are encouraged to construct these things. Uh, then there are regulations given about the Sabbath. And God writes the Ten Commandments on the tablets in chapter 31. Chapter 32, we come back to a scene of action because the Israelites are getting fidgety because Moses has gone for so long, and they demand that Aaron would make a calf for them to worship, and he does so. God tells Moses of this and is burning in anger, and he wants to kill them all. But Moses intercedes for Israel, uh, and God relents. He goes down. He destroys the tablets uh, that God has made. He takes the calf, destroys it. He grinds it with powder, throws it in their water, and makes Israel drink it. Aaron, trying to explain the situation, lies about it. The Levites are then dedicated because they are the ones who are for Yahweh. They come to Moses and they are sent out and they kill 3,000 of the people. Uh, uh, Moses will plead for the people and the people will suffer a plague and devastation there. Uh, in chapters 33 and 34, the people are charged to go. They are chastised and humbled. God would then meet with Moses in the tent uh, and he wants to see God's glory. He is only able to see God's back as he passes by. God in chapter 34 will again write on tablets, reestablishing the covenant and the basic laws of conduct. Moses then stands before the Israelites. He has a veil on because his face is shining because he has stood in the presence of the glory of Yahweh. From chapters 35 through 40, the rest of Exodus is about the building of the tabernacle or that tent. So the contribution is made. Bezalel and Aholiab are called. The tabernacle is constructed according to the pattern that God has given to Moses. They have they create the priestly garments. They complete the work. They receive instructions and execute those instructions to erect the tent. And then we have that nature of the tent and that God maintains his presence there. And even though we are in the midst of the wilderness, we have kind of reached our first kind of uh, beginning and coming back to the beginning again. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, uh, heaven and earth uh, met, and uh, God dwelt among Adam and Eve. Now here in Exodus, we have a new point of meeting of heaven and earth with the tent and the tabernacle, and God has maintained his presence with his people. We're supposed to understand that kind of circling around. A lot of important stuff going on in Exodus. Uh, we have this, the stories, the very famous stories of the plagues and God demonstrating his power. Exodus chapter 12 and the Passover. 
Uh, Passover will have important implications throughout. It is the moment of Israel's independence. Uh, the fact that Christ is our Passover in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8 flows from the fact that the Lamb is what led to the deliverance and the Lamb of God uh, is the Passover Lamb. And so that all that imagery in the New Testament really harkens much more back to the Passover than any of their sacrificial system. Uh, the fact God delivers it with the Red Sea uh, and the deliverance there is very famous. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, the fact that Israel passed through the sea, was baptized into Moses at this point in, in, a, in a spiritual image, and they followed the rock, uh, and the rock was Christ. Their salvation is accomplished by God, but Israel still had to walk through. In Exodus 19, Israel is trembling before God at Sinai. In Hebrews 12, this will be used to talk about how uh, that's the mountain that they came to where they were afraid, but we have come to the heavenly Mount Zion uh, into the presence of God. The Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, of course, of incredible importance, uh, the basis of the entire law. Paul will make reference to it, Romans 13, and we are still observing them all, save about the Sabbath, which we are waiting in heaven. The idea of following the pattern in Exodus 25 and verse 40 will be uh, emphasized again in Hebrews 8, verses 5 and 6. The golden calf incident will be kind of what's behind First uh, Corinthians 10, 1 through 12, where the people rouse up to play and and all such things, and that led to their destruction, and we are to see them and not follow in that pattern. Likewise, the shining face of Moses. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, how uh, the Jewish mind is hardened like the veil of Moses was there, and that veil is removed in Christ, where we can then um, see face to face with God through his spirit. And so we see in Exodus a very powerful story of how the Israelites went from slaves to God's chosen people. It indicates God's power and his majesty and why Israel should accept Yahweh as their God. And that now God is dwelling with his people yet again. Therefore, may we learn from what has been revealed about those who came before. Let us understand all the value and benefit we can get from the book of Exodus and serve God fully in Christ through the spirits. I'm Ethan. Very glad that you've joined us. We are with the Venture to Christ. We are disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. If you have any questions or comments about Exodus, we'd love to hear about it. Please let us know. Please subscribe to us where you found us. If we can be a further service, please reach out to us at benestrictochrist.org. You can also find us on Blue Sky, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, YouTube, and many other places. And may the Lord bless and keep until we're able to meet again.